have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream Martin Luther King, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. You see, Martin Luther King not only saw what was but he saw what could be. A dream that is only partially realized, but a dream that continues in the heart of men and women throughout America today. I have a dream. And do you know that God also has a dream? Whenever God first made this world, he made it perfect. He made it beautiful. And indeed, at the end of that period of six days, he made humanity, male and female. And he looked down from heaven, and he said, it's, it's very good. And you can almost imagine on that seventh day as God rested, he took pleasure in what he had made. He looked down at the created order, and he seen man and women living as he intended them to live. And his heart was pleased. But not long afterwards, sin and rebellion entered our world. And very soon the world became a messy, mucked up place. Very different from what God had intended. And so in Genesis chapter 6, as we are introduced to the story of Noah and the building of the ark and the coming judgment, God looked down upon the world that he had made and he said his heart was grieved. It's a word that's full of emotion. God's heart was broken as he looked down at the messed up world 
And he longed that one day that world would be restored. He longed that one day things would be different. And he planned and purposed that through the coming of Christ and with the foundation of the early church, that that would bring in a new age that ultimately would lead one day to the world being recreated as God originally intended it to be. And so we even see in prophets like the prophet Isaiah and in chapter 11, a hint already of what God's ultimate purpose was going to be. We get a little insight of what God's dream for his world would look like. And so he writes, a root will come from the stump of Jesse. Again, pointing forward to the coming of Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. And this is his dream. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. What a dream. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw with the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, that's God's dream. In the brokenness of Genesis 6, where his heart is grieved as he looked down upon a world broken and full of sin and rebellion, God purposed and planned and dreamed that one day that beautiful creation would be restored and there'd be a new heaven and a new earth and God's glory would fill the created order. That's my dream. That's God's purpose. That's God's plan when you look at the big picture of what God wants to do in our world today. And so we had the coming of Jesus. And of course, Jesus would be the pivot, if you like, in the midst of the story. The one ultimately who could deal with the issue of sin and rebellion. The one ultimately who could deal with the mess of the world. But with Jesus returning to heaven, the church became an integral part of God's plan. God chose that through the church, his dream would begin 
to become a reality. And one day, at the end of this present age, that dream will become a reality. And the church will have played a significant part in the fulfillment of that dream, although only realizing it in part until that day when heaven breaks and the church goes to be with Christ and to reign with him forever. But how on earth, do you say, how on earth could the church even begin to bring about the realization of God's dream? And of course, he could only do it through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And so we discover, and please don't laugh at my little picture, and uh, so we discover in Acts chapter 2 that Luke there quotes from Joel, from that ancient prophet. And with the dawn of this new messianic age, there would be the coming of the Holy Spirit who would empower the church and enable the church to begin to bring God's dream for a new world into being. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, he says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. I think sometimes we read that far too quickly. God doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will come like a drizzle. He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will come like a spring shower. The word almost implies a monsoon torrential rain. The Holy Spirit of God will be poured out with such generosity that the church cannot be unaware of his presence. And in contrast to how God worked in the Old Testament days, God would pour out his Spirit on all people. And that's really what's at the heart of the remainder of the next couple of verses, where he says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I think the emphasis is not so much on trying to force a distinction between dreams and visions and prophecies, but rather Luke is trying to remind us that when the Spirit of God comes in the church in New Testament times, that it will be a Spirit that will empower everyone, not just those who are specially called of God, the ancient prophets or the ancient priests or whoever in Old Testament times. But in this new messianic age, every one of us, whatever our age, whatever our background, whatever our social class, whatever our maturity in the things of God, God will pour out his spirit upon the church to enable the church to fulfill his dream upon the earth. That's what's at the heart of this. God says, I have a dream. A dream that one day the messiness of this world will come to an end and the world will be as I intended it to be. And until that day happens, the church is in charge with the responsibility 
of seeking to bring God's dream into reality. That's what we're called to do as a church. That's what our purpose is ultimately here, is to bring God's dream into reality. My oldest daughter sent me this card um, whenever I was having a big birthday. And um, she put on the front of it the words that are there. I've just photocopied it. You're never too old to set another goal or to dream another dream. Words of C.S. Lewis taken there at C.S. Lewis Square in East Belfast. And then she put on the inside, neither dad are you too old to learn how to smile when your photograph's being taken. (laughs) She's even cheekier now at 40 than she was when she was 10. But I have that card up on my desk in the office. Because I need to remind myself And each one of us need to remind ourselves. And we need to remind ourselves corporately that whatever our age, whatever our perspective, that God has called us to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. And our calling is to dream dreams. Our calling is to see visions. Our calling is is to speak out the words and mind of God in such a way that the dream of God becomes a greater reality in our world today. That's why we're here. To bring God's dream into greater measure in our world today. And so, the church is inaugurated And so I want to take some time this morning just looking at those classic verses. And uh, in verse 42 through to verse 47. And in these verses we have a beautiful little cameo of what almost appears to be a model church. If we want to be a church that is able to see God's dream become reality then the characteristics that are present in this early church need to be present here at KBC. They, that is, the early Christians, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to highlight four key characteristics that were a mark of this early church. And some of you may not realize, but in our church logo, the four colors in our church logo and the four components in our church logo represent these four characteristics. 
many years ago when we were developing this logo. That's how it came about. And perhaps we need to be reminded of it again this morning. And those who are relatively new to the church might say, what's that logo all about? Maybe you've never even thought about it. But there's something dynamic about it. And the cross is at the center. And it's about people worshiping. But it's those four components that are central to who we are and what we do. And we believe that if those four components are present within our church, then we can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, seek to see God's dream become a greater reality. So, firstly, we want to be a learning church, a church that's committed to lifelong learning. And so we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles had lived with Christ, apart from Paul, but Paul himself had seen Christ and encountered Christ. And so the apostles' teaching would have been very much about who is Jesus and why did Jesus come into our world? They would have spoken about the purposes of God. They would have taught about what it means to live out their faith in the midst of an alien and hostile culture. They would have taught about how does it mean to to live and survive as a Christian in the midst of the persecution and hostility that they were facing. But it was a church that was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. It's a sort of old-fashioned word, isn't it? Devoted. And sometimes, you know, maybe at a funeral, you know, you might be doing a little obituary or a little eulogy, and you might say of this old dear, you know, she was just so devoted to her husband. She just did everything for him in the latter years and nursed him and cared for him. It's about loyalty and commitment and devotion and love, all of those things. And these early Christians were devoted to understanding the truth about God and God's purposes in Christ and for his world. But there's always the danger, isn't there, of us knowing lots of things about God and actually not knowing God himself. Which is why it's really interesting to see that the other mention of the apostles in these verses It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So not only did they get to know God and know the truth about God and know what God's purposes were, but they actually came to know who God was experientially as they seen evidence of the power of God, as they seen demonstrations of the love of God, They didn't just know about God. They knew God. They knew what God was like. They knew how God acted in their world at that time. And so we need to be a learning church. A church that is devoted to the Scriptures, that seeks to understand the Scriptures that loves to hear the Scriptures being expounded in a way that is relevant, in a way that enables us 
to live out our faith in the world today. But we also need as a church not just to know the truth about God. We need to know Him. We need to experience Him. We need to know and see God acting powerfully in our church today. And so, I dream. I dream that we might be a learning church, a church that longs to absorb the truth about Him, that longs to understand the Scriptures and live them out in our day-to-day lives, but a church that also is longing after God experientially, that we might truly love Him in our hearts, that we might see His power and know His power manifest in our lives, in our worship, in our church, week by week. But we also see here not just a learning church, but we also see a loving church. Again, they devoted themselves to fellowship or to the fellowship. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. The word fellowship there is a well-known Greek word, koinonia. Some of you will be familiar with it. It's a word that Paul uses in Corinthians when he's arranging a collection, a financial collection for the poorer Greek churches. And he talks about sharing in their financial needs. And he uses this word, fellowship. And indeed, kononikos, which is a derivative, the same root, is actually the Greek word for generosity. And so here we have a church that demonstrates deep love for one another, deep care for one another, not just in a warm, fuzzy way, but practically and with immense generosity. Clearly, the verses here aren't saying that everyone ought to sell up their houses because we read later on that the church met in one another's homes. But whenever there was desperate need, whenever it was necessary to do so, people were willing to sacrifice and give up even things that were precious to them so that there wouldn't be an evident need within the fellowship of God's people. Just a simple example of that. A couple of Sunday nights ago, we said farewell to Magic as he went back to Poland to uh, be with his wife who was dying. And he was only back a few days whenever his, his wife died. And um, we recognized that there was a significant need there materially. And so on Sunday night, after we had taken the offering at the very end of the service, we ended up taking another offering that we could send over to Magic. And we ended up sending over approximately 800 pounds to help with the funeral and so on. Just simple expressions of love to demonstrate that we care and that people matter to us. And of course, there are so many ways in which that is evident in our church here at KBC. 
But each one of us needs to demonstrate that love to those that we know, to those around us, in sacrificial ways, and so demonstrate the compassion of Christ. My dream is that this church will be a learning church, committed to knowing the Scriptures, committed to knowing God experientially, but also that we will be a loving church where every one of us feels embraced, where every one of us feels that we matter, where everyone senses something of His love in our lives in very down-to-earth and practical expressions. This church was a loving church. But then thirdly, we discover something more about it. We discover that it was a worshiping church. And so we are a church that's committed to glorifying worship Sunday by Sunday and in our day-to-day lives. Again, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. In both formal contexts and in informal contexts, they expressed their devotion to God. They spoke out and proclaimed the excellence of God's greatness one with another, in all sorts of different contexts, formally, perhaps on the Saturday or the Sunday, as they met together collectively, but also in their homes and in other simple ways. And so we too, as a church, are committed to proclaiming the excellence of God in our day-to-day lives, but also in our corporate gatherings as we meet together. Of course, it's really difficult to do that in a way that pleases everyone. But ultimately, it's not about pleasing everyone. It's about saying, how can we express our love to God? Because He alone is worthy of all the praise that we can bestow upon His name. Here was a church that was committed to learning, that was a loving church, that was a worshiping church, but it was also an evangelistic church. The Bible says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you read the book of Acts, it becomes very obvious very quickly that the role of the Holy Spirit was relentless in reminding the church of its primary responsibility to reach out with the good news of Jesus to a lost world. And so throughout the book of Acts, we find the church doing just that. And as a church, we're committed to reaching out to our community in all sorts of different ways, so that we might express the love of Christ and that that very expression of love would provoke questions that will result in us being able to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. So, for example, even this coming Wednesday, 
we have our Alpha course starting once again. And wouldn't it be lovely if through that, or through the different ministries of the church, wouldn't it be lovely if every week, never mind every day, we saw men and women and young people and boys and girls coming to find faith in Jesus Christ. I'm excited by what I see God doing in our church. But I have a dream that we might come to a place where on a weekly basis, never mind on a daily basis, but on a weekly basis, we would see people in this community come and find faith in him. God looked upon his world in Genesis 6. And his heart was broken as he looked at the messed up world that he had made. But in Isaiah 11, we have a hint, as in many places throughout the Old Testament, of God's dream for this world. He wouldn't leave it the way that it was. But one day he would look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And the glory of the Lord would fill this earth. And with the coming of Jesus the great Redeemer and our ultimate hope, he inaugurates a new age, the age of the church. And he charges the church to be the church that would ultimately bring in God's dream and make God's dream a present reality in the midst of our broken world. And so part of the responsibility of the church is to so act and to so be that there are signs and demonstrations and evidence, little glimmers of what one day God has planned for this world to be. And so if we're going to do that effectively, we need to be a church. A church that's committed to learning. A church committed to loving a church committed to worshiping, a church committed to evangelism. Those are the four big priorities that are embraced in our logo that ultimately determine what we do week by week, month by month, year by year. But I want to finish just by reading a few verses from the next chapter, from Acts chapter 3. One of the problems with our Bibles in their current form is that they're all split up into chapters. And so you end up reading one chapter and stop. And probably for the first time, I, I started to read down through Acts chapter 3 as well. And almost saw, of you like, the consequence of what being a church like this church was what it could mean in reality. And so the Bible says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. This is almost certainly a picture of what is normally described as the Golden Gate uh, in the walls of Jerusalem even today. 
but it was a very grand um, gate into Jerusalem, adorned with gold, described here as the beautiful gate. But it was anything but beautiful for those broken people who lay on the ground at the entrance to the city. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said in his famous words, Silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. You see, here was this man, a beggar, crippled, broken, excluded, and nobody, sitting at the gate called beautiful. What a contrast. And as I read that, I felt that God spoke into my heart. And I thought, what sort of church does God want this to be? And I thought, one of my dreams is that at KBC, people would know us as a beautiful place. A place where broken people could be made whole. In contrast to the golden gate at Jerusalem, in contrast to that beautiful gate where a broken man sat, in total contrast to his surroundings, my prayer is that this place, that we as a people, could be a beautiful place, a beautiful congregation, where men and women throughout this community who are broken could come and find healing. I've never heard of a church being called beautiful before. You know, beautiful Baptist church. We go to that big green building that some people think is nice and other people think is ugly. But wouldn't it be wonderful if people pointed others in this community to this place, to us, and said, you ought to go there. There's something beautiful about it because they are so seeking to follow Christ that broken people are made whole. And as that happens, as that occurs, the consequences, God's dream is partially realized in this community. And the more and more and more we can be known as a beautiful church, more and more and more, 
will the dream of God be evident in the life of this community, pointing forward to a time when God's dream would be fully realized in our world, when pain will be no more and all brokenness will cease and the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are a God with with the most amazing vision for your world. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are a God who, who dreams about the world that you have made. Thank you that you are a God who who is grieved when you see the mess of our world. But you're not willing to leave it that way. And so thank you that you've purposed and planned that one day everything will be put right. And your glory will once again fill this place. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything will be as you intended it to be. Thank you with the coming of Jesus. We can see your plan and your purpose more fully. Thank you that as we look at Christ, we can see how that glorious act of redemption and reconciliation can indeed make this happen. Thank you for the privilege of calling us as a church to be part of that dream. And I just pray that you will help us to so live out our lives that this will become a beautiful place in the midst of our community. So help us to be a learning church, committed to knowing your ways and longing to experience more of you in our lives day by day. Help us to be a loving church, that the generosity of your love is expressed in the way that we speak and in the way that we act, not just amongst ourselves, but to the wider community. Help us to be a worshiping church where Jesus is exalted and glorified above everything else. Help us to be an evangelistic church that never, ever loses sight of what you have called us to do. And our prayer is that in increasing measure, we might see men and women and young people and boys and girls come to know you. Whom to know is life eternal. And Father, through all of that, make this, make us a place of beauty where the broken can come 
and find restoration. In Christ's name.